If you got your Bibles this morning, we are starting this neat little study. I'm excited about this. The book of Philemon. Small little book, just one chapter. Um, we've, we've entitled it Be Radical because it's about living completely different than our culture. Radical forgiveness, grace, acceptance, love. It's going to take us about two months to kind of move through this book. And uh, so we're going to start there. So if you got your, uh, you your Bible app, it's really easy to find. If you have a real-life-to-goodness Bible, maybe a little harder. So it's in the New Testament. you got First and Second Timothy. You've got Titus. Then you have Philemon. If you hit Hebrews, you went too far. All right? That's where we're going to be. Now, here's the thing, and I hope that this will, will just put something within you that will follow you the rest of your life. And that is that whenever you begin to study God's Word, the best way to understand what's going on is to have an idea of context. In fact, there's a saying in Bible study that context is king. And so you always want to understand the historical, the cultural context of what's going on. I saw a meme this week. I loved it. It was taken off of Philippians 4.13. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the meme says, I can do all things through verses taken out of context. Because Philippians 4.13 is often taken out of context. Uh, it doesn't mean near what people give it meaning towards. And so understanding context. Now the great thing is in the society in which you and I live, that's really easy. If you've got a decent study Bible, typically right there at the first page, they'll give you a page and a half of background. Uh, there's lots of resources you can find on the internet. Uh, you can pick up, it's man, it's an old favorite, uh, but it's uh, Haley. Bible handbook. Just take a little bit of time. And so that's what I'm going to try to do this morning, give you a little bit of time of the context. One of the first things you need to know is who wrote it, because everybody writes it with a little different style, different piece. And when we think about the book of Philemon, it's pretty clear that Paul wrote it. I mean, he mentioned himself three times. Verse 1, Paul a prisoner of the Lord. Uh, Verse 9, he talks about, since I such a... Since I am such a person as Paul the aged. He says it again in verse 19. I, Paul, am writing with my own hands. So Paul is the author here. The question is, when did he write it? A little harder question. There's a couple of uh, couple clues here. Verse 1. In fact, why don't we read the first three verses together? Because that's what we're going to kind of focus on today. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother... To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and Agrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see, he says, he calls himself, which is, he doesn't do that in any other introduction, a prisoner of the Lord. You also then skip down to verse 10, and he says, And I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, who I have begotten in my imprisonment. So it appears that Paul wrote this when he was imprisoned. So the question becomes, which time, right? He, we know he was in jail in Rome. We know he was in jail in Jerusalem. We know he was in jail in Caesarea. Uh, so which time? Well, 
again, you just start to keep looking for clues. And one of the clues that we find is in the book of Colossians that Paul wrote very specifically when he was in, in Rome and under house arrest. That at the end of that book, he says, I'm sending to you Tychicus and Onesimus, who you know, they were the ones that were actually delivering the letter. So it appears that as Paul is sending Onesimus back with the letter Colossians, that this is also now when he's sending the book of Philemon. So it's when he's in Rome. So that would date it someplace between about 62. And 62 A.D., someplace in there. And uh, we think that's when, when the book is written. Now, the recipient is, is listed here in verse 1 to Philemon, our beloved brother, fellow worker, to Ophelia, Agrippus, and to the church in your house. Now, in the way they wrote ancient letters, the first person mentioned is by far the most important. That's why you think uh, we just studied Philippians. Remember it said to the saints at Philippi along with the elders and the deacons. So the first recipient was the church and then within that he, he, he noticed the, the leadership of the church. What's interesting here is Philemon. That's not a church that is a person. And the, the book here is very personal. In fact, from verse 4 down through verse 22, it's hard to pick up in the English, but in its original language, every second person pronoun, so you, is all singular. It's not plural. He's talking specifically to Philemon. Now, who's Philemon? Well, we know that he has a church in his house. Um, it seems like that, again, going back to Colossians chapter 4, that church is probably in Colossae. So most likely, he's a leader in the church, an elder, uh, or at least he hosts a church. But, again, an elder has to be given to hospitality. So probably, he's an elder in the church. He's a leader there. And this book is very specifically mentioned to him. Now raises another question, doesn't it? How on God's green earth does Paul know Philemon? Because we know Paul says, you know, to those at Colossae, you know, I I've never met you. You know, he's, he's never been to Colossae. He's just heard of the church. So how does Paul know Philemon? Another interesting question. Uh, most likely, Colossae is in what we know as Turkey today, Asia Minor. Paul spent a lot of time there in a city called Ephesus, which was not very far from Colossae, but Ephesus was the main city. It was the port. It's where everybody was. And Paul ministered there uh, at one time a couple, a couple years and then went through there a number of times. So most likely, Paul met Philemon in Ephesus. And then the other little clue that we get here is in verse 19, he says... Not to mention that you owe to me even your own self as well. The implication is, is that while in Ephesus, Paul meets Philemon, shares the gospel with him. Philemon comes to faith in Christ through the testimony of Paul. Then Paul disciples him, invests in him. Oh, by the way, he goes back to Colossae where he lives. He takes the gospel. People get saved. He starts the church and he serves as an elder. Kind of, kind of works, right? And so that's the idea. Now, who is Aphia 
and Agrippus. And the question is, or the answer is, we don't know for certain. Agrippus is, is actually mentioned in Colossae 2 as one of the leaders of the church. Most likely, this is his wife, uh, Aphia. Uh, again, I've learned this. Uh, when I invite people over to my house, guess who has to get it all ready, right? It's my wife. So it's, he greets Philemon, he greets his wife, he greets probably their son, who also has grown, become a leader in the church, and he begins to, to, to write this letter to them. So that's kind of that, that piece. Now, the background, though, is really interesting. And it's all built around a man by the name of Onesimus there in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus who I've begotten in my imprisonment. As best we understand, Onesimus was a slave who was owned by Philemon. Now that raises an interesting question, doesn't it? As Christians, was it okay to have slaves? You got an answer for that one, by the way? We're going to talk about that when we get done with our study. We're going to come back and deal with some of, the, some of these issues. In the Roman world, slavery was huge. It was a huge part of the economy. Uh, in fact, they tell us that the Roman Empire at this time, about one-third of the people that are encompassing the, the Roman Empire are slaves. Now, it's a different slavery than what we knew here in America, that despicable piece of our past where our our slavery was primarily racial. It was, it was about black people from Africa. And it was very racially uh, segregated to that. It wasn't that way with Rome. Because Rome, basically, they would conquer people of, of all kinds of skin color, racial backgrounds, and then they would make them slaves. Of course, at this point, the, the conquering had pretty much, I mean, there was still some to be done, but it had come to an end. So a lot of these people that were slaves now were actually born as children, as slaves. That's what they grew up with. Uh, we read even historically that some people actually sold themselves into slavery because it did provide for, you know, your necessities. It provided for a roof over your head and food. And, and yet at the same time, there were those born into it. Uh, really wanted to get out of it. And that seems to be what Onesimus did. And so he decided to run and to escape. And so where do you go? Well, where do people go today that are trying to hide? You go to the big cities, right? You blend in. It's it just, there's so much going on. They're not going to find you there. And so the idea would be that Onesimus escaped. Now, what's interesting, verse 18, it says... Paul says, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So you think about, if a slave's going to run away, he doesn't have any resource, so he probably steals in order to be able to go and to buy the transport, to pay for the food, to buy the transport on the boat, to travel to where he wants to go. So he ends up in Rome. Paul's there under house arrest. How God brought them together, we don't know. But now God brings them together. Probably a good chance Onesimus had met Paul of being with Philemon there in Ephesus. And now Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus he accepts Christ, life change. That's awesome, isn't it? Transformation. In fact, what, you, what we find is now he becomes one who now begins to minister to Paul and to support him because Paul can't do a lot for himself. He's under house arrest. 
But there's a problem. Paul, as he's being ministered to and loves seeing the growth in Onesimus, knows there's a problem. And that Onesimus has wronged a brother in Christ, Philemon. Well, you know, he's a new person in Christ, forgetting what lies behind. Well, no, 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 slow down. Slow down. That's not exactly what Jesus taught us about reconciliation. Do you remember Jesus' words back in Matthew chapter 5 uh, at the Sermon on the Mount? Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother, your brother, has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go be reconciled first with your brother. Then come and present. So, so here is Onesimus who is saved. Onesimus whose life changed. Onesimus now who is giving his service to the Lord, is presenting it to the Lord by serving Paul. But there's, a, there's this thing out there of, of a problem with his brother who he has wronged. So what are you going to do? You know, folk, if we as Christians took seriously the words of Matthew chapter 5, it would change dramatically the health of our relationships and the health of our churches. You know, we, we, we get into conflict, but instead of reconciling, we let it build up, and there's anger, and there's bitterness, and then division comes into churches. Division becomes... Christians. People leave this church and go down the street to the next one because they got a problem with this person right here. You see, there's a part of, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, that the gospel is about reconciling not only us to God, but one another. And Paul now has this, this thing, hey, either the gospel works or it doesn't. Either it reconciles us to our brothers or it doesn't. And so now he is going to send Onesimus back to Colossae to deliver the letter to the Colossians, but also sending him back to Philemon with this letter to Philemon to now seek reconciliation with his brother. And when you begin to think about it, now you begin to understand. Because see, it's really easy to look at verse 3. Oh, it's just an introduction. You see that in all of Paul's books. Grace to you and priests. You know, and just kind of skip over it. Oh, no, 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 no. Man, those things are crucial. Because reconciliation is the goal of the gospel. The idea is, is that you and I ha have been alienated from God. We're strangers. We've walked away from him. There, there's hurt. We stepped against his laws. And we are now the enemies. And so Jesus came and died on the cross, right? To provide that, that our debt could be paid, that we could be reconciled with God. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. Now all these things are for God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world, bringing us back into harmony, not counting their trespasses against him. And so the, the gospel is all about us being reconciled with God, but it doesn't stop there. Now it moves, and now helping us reconcile with one another, because here's the problem. Sin not only creates problems between us and God, causes us to be at a point where, where you become the enemy of God, but it does the same thing with one another. The sin of our selfishness, of our self-centeredness, of life being about us, of only being willing to see it from our perspective. 
I mean, this is what happens in marriages, isn't it? You know, we, we, we just see things our way, and it's our sin and our selfie, and problems come in. And, and, and this is why the gospel is the power of God to heal marriages, because in that we can deal with reconciliation between brothers in a church. We, we, can, we can reconcile with one another when there have been problems. We can come back. We can work it out because that's the power of the gospel. But here's the thing. Reconciliation takes great grace. That's why you don't see it in this world. But it ought to mark us. Because what reconciliation is, is that on the part of on the part of Onesimus, it's humility. It's owning that he was wrong. It's walking back into a situation that in some ways he's free of. He's in Rome. He's saved. You know, it's behind him. But now it's traveling all the way back to Colossae and in humility going before Philemon, confessing his fault, trying to make it right. That takes grace. Think about it from Philemon's side. Who's been wronged. It's been stuff stolen. Stuff he's never going to get back. And you just got to forgive. And move ahead like didn't happen. Have you ever been wronged by somebody? I'm sure we all have, right? Uh, have we not all been lied about? Had our, I, I know I have, had my words taken and twisted and taken out of context to say something that I never said. Man, that hurts. It hurts you to the core. I, I, I've lost friendships. I've lost people that, that, that I consider. I mean, I was just reading yesterday in Psalm 55, you know, in David's lament. And, and, of course, he laments a lot. But in Psalm 55, it is the fact that this is my friend. This is one I went up to the house of the Lord with. This is one that I worship God with. And now he's turned his back on me. Man, that's painful. And I have to forgive remember in my own life I probably the, the time that this was just the most difficult because it was so painful it was so hard and when we sat down to try to reconcile and try to explain it became real apparent that these people were never going to understand what I felt because they didn't mean it that way I don't think their intention was to to done what, what I perceived that they did, but that's still what I perceived. And so can I, can I just forgive? Can I, can I just say, okay. And yet isn't that exactly what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven us. Let me ask you. Did we deserve to be forgiven by Jesus? Or was it just simply in his grace that he came? So aren't we not supposed to forgive others that same way? I mean, reconciliation takes grace. You think of that passage in Matthew 18. It's always where I wish I had more time. 
you want to read a great passage this afternoon. Because he starts about restoring a brother who has fallen. And then it, it goes into uh, Peter. How often should I forgive somebody? You know, seven times, look at me, I'm really good. I doubled what most people say. Jesus said, no. Seventy times seven. And oh, by the way, then he tells that parable. That parable of that man who is millions of dollars in debt into his owner. And when he begs for forgiveness, the owner, the master forgives him and forgives him of the entire debt. But then he goes out to somebody who owes him a day or two wages. And he will not forgive. And Jesus, Jesus speaks, if you don't forgive, Father's not going to forgive you. This is, that takes grace. And then what grace does and what reconciliation does is then it leads to peace. You see, when we get problems with one another, when, there, when there's those, those points of, of bitterness where we haven't forgiven people. I mean, you just hear their name and it begins to kind of work up inside of you, right? And if you're going to a situation where you think you might see them, you might have to be with them. I mean, the, the juices just begin to glow. The anxiety begins to build. Why? There is no peace. But our God came to make peace, number one, with him through reconciliation. But now peace here. Peace is such a huge peace that God wants us to have in our life. In fact, I was thinking of a verse in Romans, and as I was searching for it, I was just amazed how many times he came back to this. For instance, Romans 12, 18, this is what I started looking for. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Forgive, be reconciled. As far as it depends upon you. But then just two chapters later, he comes back. So then we pursue the things which make for what? Peace. Because our God is a God of reconciliation. And the building up of one another. And then he comes back to it even a chapter later. And he says, now may the God of peace be with you all. Grace and peace are not just merely throwaway terms. You need grace for there to be reconciliation, and reconciliation will bring peace. And I got to finish this, but you know, one of the reasons the book of Philemon has been criticized in academic circles is this idea that it doesn't have any great, strong theology and I just couldn't disagree more. You see, the story of, of Philemon is this beautiful picture of reconciliation that you and I live. I say, what do you mean? Well, we're all Onesimus, aren't we? Haven't we all wandered away? Haven't we all stole from our master? Haven't we all rebelled? Didn't we all walk our own way, do our own thing? Yes! That was us. We walked and rebelled. After God gave us everything that we could need for life, we rebelled. And even in this life. And God is the one who has been wrong, not us. We stepped away from him. You know, every once in a while I'll talk to somebody who's struggling with being mad at God. And I smile on the inside, not outside. I want to be sympathetic, Right? But I smile on the inside because I know I've been there. I experienced it. But the truth is, I always experience it the same way. Because they tell me their story. And quite honestly, the story is always the same. They made all these decisions that weren't in accordance with what God told them to do anyway. And now their life is a mess and they're mad at God. 
And again, I'm not throwing stones. That's me. But God is the one who has been offended. And so we needed a reconciler. And so for Philemon, it showed up being Paul, right? And it's Paul who down in verse 18 and 19 says to Philemon, but if Onesimus has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I will repay it. Folks, Jesus came as our reconciler, didn't he? And he said to the Father, Lord, I know that they've wronged you, but whatever they owe you, charge to my account. Put it upon me. I'll pay for it. No matter what it costs, doesn't matter. I want to bring these people back into relationship with you. Do you remember how the prophet Isaiah put it in Isaiah 53? Surely our Greece, he himself bore our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was pierced through for who our transgressions he's crushed for what our iniquity the chastening for our well-being fell upon him and with his stripes we're healed I love the next verse this is us all of us like sheep have gone astray we are all Onesimus and every one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has called, caused on him this sin, the iniquity of us all to fall. And if you're here today and you've not come to put your faith in Jesus, this is why I always say this is where it begins. It doesn't, church is not going to change your life. Turning over a new leaf is not going to change your life. Jesus is going to change your life because he's the reconciler. He's the one that died for you. And that's where it begins, by putting your faith in Jesus. And if you haven't done it, you can do it right where you are. Where you're sitting at home, watching this in Starbucks, or sitting here in a chair. If you'll just in your heart say, Jesus, I need to be reconciled to God. Forgive me. I want you to come be my Savior. He'll do it.